0: Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome, and thanks for joining me today. Captain Archer shows us how to get the best out of someone that doesn't even believe they're capable of it, while we decide if this episode destroys all continuity in the Star Trek universe as we kick off the 19th episode of the first season of Enterprise, Acquisition. The Enterprise is adrift, floating in space. We join a crew of unknown aliens speaking in their language. scoping the ship out and docking with it. Okay, let's just get this right out. They're Ferengi, right? These are mainstays in the next generation and Deep Space Nine, yet here they are, a few hundred years before official first contact with them. So, So we'll go along with the illusion for the recap here, but so for this time, they're just an unknown alien race. Okay, we're all on board. All right, good. Well, speaking of being on board, they board the ship. The crew are all lying around in corridors, passed out. The aliens take a special interest in DePaul and notice that her ears are different than everyone else's. You know, remember, she's a Vulcan. They have a weird, weird fascination with ears just in general. Well, in engineering, they disable a device that was spewing out some gas. Presumably, that's what put the crew out. And then they dive into salvage operations. In the decon chamber, Tripp is waiting for his time to complete. He says, You said 20 minutes. It's been at least an hour. As he tries to get Phlox's attention. But, like everyone else, Phlox is passed out too. Tripp picks the lock and leaves the chamber. He ensures the crew is alive, but, but isn't sure what's happened. He hears the aliens talking, so he hides away and keeps an eye on them. All this while hanging out in his boxer briefs. So we're like 11 minutes into the episode at this point. They're just stealing stuff and loading it into their ship. But then they handcuff Archer and wake him up. They take a little while to calibrate their universal translator. And then they just start like literally hitting him and asking, where is the location of your vault? He tries to reason with them, but the alien they call Muck keeps hitting him. He sees Trip up on an upper deck so he changes his approach. He decides to play along. I'll show you where the vault is, if you let me keep half the gold. They agree and we start seeing some cracks in the cohesion of this team. Why am I always stuck doing the medial labor? So they make Archer do it instead. He starts applying pressure where he can. He's paired off with Krem and he asks a lot of questions. What do you want to be when you grow up? What's the right tip? You called a plumber to your home lately? How superstitious are you? How much money would it take to make you spend a night in a cemetery? Would you display this as a trophy? Do you have a pet? Do you have a sweet tooth? He's subtly trying to sow seeds of doubt and make Krem an ally, but Krem is sticking to his principles. He's even quoting the rules of acquisition. Those those are the code that Ferengi live by, mostly directing them to well to predatory business practices. But of course, of course, we don't we don't know that yet in this timeline. These are still unknown aliens that are just pirates to Archer at this point. There's a there's a pretty funny moment between them here. Back on my homeworld, that kind of thinking almost destroyed our civilization. You should have managed your businesses better. Archer just keeps on it. He finds out that Krem's cousin handles his finances, and that he gets the smallest share of the crew. His dream is to have his own ship, but. But Archer can see that really he's just getting taken advantage of. Never allow family to stand in the way of profit. That's one of the rules of acquisition. Archer sees Trip nearby and asks Krem to get him something to eat and some water. Krem cuffs him to a bulkhead and heads off to the mess. Trip comes around and then they update each other on everything that's happened. There's not anything that Trip can find that's going to wake the crew up and the aliens have taken all the weapons including the phase pistols. But Archer thinks that if Tripp can find the hypo spray that they use to wake him up, then Trip could probably get at least one person to help him. They're up a creek without a paddle, but they might have just a glimmer of hope. Trip finds that hypo and wakes up to Paul. He tells her what's been going on, and she determines that the thing the aliens turned off earlier in the episode, the, the one that was spewing the gas, that was left out for someone to find as a trap. Trip had found it on the mission that he was returning from when he was in the Decon station. So the whole thing was an elaborate trap laid out by these aliens so they could break into a ship and clean it out. It's really pretty brilliant. The other aliens, Muck, Grish, and Ulis are still searching for this mysterious vault, and they start getting just a little too greedy. This beauty's going in my personal collection. Trip and Paul come up with a plan and they're moving around the ship to set stuff up for it. After a few more minutes of them arguing, the aliens arguing and salvaging while they're distracted, Paul messes with their bags where they've been stowing the gear in. Where are my scanners? They continue arguing with and threatening each other. They split up with Muck going off on his own. Down in engineering, Archer continues to chip away at Krem's confidence in his team. He could try to cheat you out of your share. He wouldn't cheat me. What happened to never allow family to stand in the way of profit? He offers to split the gold, you know, the the gold that's uh, supposedly in this vault. He offers to split it with Krem if he turns on the team, but Krem refuses. Muck finds Trip, chases him down, but Trip gets the better of him. Ulis runs into him in the corridor and uses his energy whip to disarm him and knock him out. They drag him to Archer and they ask what's going on. They play off of each other, both offering to help the aliens and end up double-crossing each other. The aliens decide they want to work with Trip. He's running them all over the Enterprise in a roundabout way, trying to confuse them. He takes them to a hatch that we saw him prepping earlier when he and T'Pol were getting ready for their plan. He opens it up, they walk in, and find T'Pol waiting for them. She blasts them with a phase pistol, stunning them. They get locked up in the brig as the crew begins to wake up and recover. Tripp and some security guards supervise the aliens as they return everything they've stolen. After that, Archer escorts them to their ship and puts one in for Krem. If you want to be unshackled, you might think about showing Krem here a little more respect. Then he sends them on their way as Krem sits in the captain's chair and takes off. At the end of the last episode, when this one came up, I mentioned it was controversial, right? Well, we first saw the Ferengi in Season 1, Next Generation. It was the episode called The Last Outpost. They were supposed to be the new big bad now that Klingons were friendly with the Federation. In that episode, we learned that first contact with the Ferengi happened in 2364. This episode, Acquisition, happens in 2151. So here we are, 213 years before first contact, but face-to-face with them. And there's the controversy. When this episode aired in 02, people kind of freaked out, which was not a good thing in a couple ways, but specifically because the Ferengi were ultimately used to try and boost ratings. But before I share my thoughts on this, let's hear from the most iconic Ferengi of them all, come to God grass button come right now don't bother run Did you just survive another meeting that should have been an email or not even have happened at all Do you dream of efficient meaningful meetings Then you need lucid meetings lucid meetings makes it easy for teams to run successful meetings every day visit lucidmeetings.com to explore free workshops, free resources and to learn more lucid meetings because teams that meet well accomplish more and have more fun. Visit lucidmeetings.com today. One ping only, please. As I thought, John Rennie's new book, All in the Same Boat is right over there. It's at allinthesameboatbook.com. Your orders are to get there now. And remember to be careful what you shoot at. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets. Managing contracts and agreements is a pain. You have to track everything on your own. You have to set reminders for renewals and expiration dates, follow up with customers or vendors when they don't respond in time, and you need to keep stakeholders up to date. It's just too much. Just getting started can be overwhelming because there are so many details involved. And if you make a mistake, like it could cost you serious money and lost revenue, or worse, set you and your business up for failure. Well, I found a solution. Zapendo makes managing contracts easy by taking care of the hard stuff for you automatically. like. It'll remind everyone on your team who needs to know about an upcoming contract renewal or an expiration date change. It will save you so much time that you would otherwise be wasting tracking down these details yourself. And thanks to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, you can save 15% when you decide to save time with Zapendo. Visit www.zapendo.com and enter the code SFLA when you subscribe. Zapendo gives the power to manage contracts, edit them on the fly, send for e signature, manage expirations and alerts, and even more. And you can access it today by visiting That's zapendo.com. That's Z A P E N D O.com. And use the offer code SFLA when you subscribe. You can also click the link in the show notes. I think this was great. Space is huge, and why wouldn't a couple of Ferengi on the hunt for profit profit. end up in a part of space the Enterprise was in? Like, why not? They never said who they were. They never said anything about where they came from or anything like that. They were just space pirates that really pulled a good plan off. If I could change one thing that would really clear up the debate on this one, other, other than using a different alien completely, I... I just wouldn't have had them reference the rules of acquisition. That one, that was a little too on the nose, but, but that's probably just me being a little too nitpicky. So this was fine. And if you have a problem with the continuity on it, well, well, you need to get over it. Get a life, will you people? <laughs> I'm crying out loud, it's, it's just a TV show. And this was a pretty fun episode too. I mean, there are huge swaths of time where basically nothing happens, but, but it's all in fun. All in all, I really enjoyed it. You could probably call the Ferengi a mm, problematic species in Star Trek, right? They've been called, they've been called anti-Semitic and, and aggressively misogynist. While Deep Space Nine did a lot to address some of that, those are, those are totally valid impressions. I mean, especially the part of being misogynist. I mean in my recap, I completely ignored some pretty, pretty creepy scenes between T'Pol and Krem. It would make a some life. <laughs> Do you know how to perform a vox? So yeah, that really that really kinda showed that side of them. But again, DS9 offers a lot of development and even and even redemption for this species. The real shining light of this episode, though, were the Hall of Fame guest stars that portrayed the aliens. I mean, we're talking Jeffrey Combs, Clint Howard, and and even Ethan Phillips. I've talked about the gift of Jeffrey Combs before on this podcast. He plays a semi-regular Ferengi on DS9, Brunt, and and this episode was so cool because because Krem is everything that Brunt is not, right? He's nervous. He's got low self-esteem. I mean, Combs played them so differently. You almost, you, I was even kind of questioning if it was even Jeffrey Combs doing it mm, so good. And we all know Ethan Phillips as Neelix. And well, <laughs> you know my feelings on Neelix, but he was great as Ulan. The way he carried himself was was aggressive and, and kind of scary, totally different than Neelix. But But here's something you might not know about Ethan Phillips. He played one of the earliest Ferengi in all of Star Trek in the third season of The Next Generation. And on top of that, he was a holographic host on the holodeck in Star Trek First Contact. I mean, the dude's done all kinds of Star Trek. But all of the guests really had a lot of fun in these roles, and it showed. For an episode that that doesn't really mean anything in the scope of Star Trek or or even Enterprise, this, this was a lot of fun. Command codes verified. One of the gifts a leader offers is being able to see something in others that they don't see in themselves. And not only do they see it, but they're able to help encourage and influence that person to become that. I like to call this unleashing the potential in others. It takes real insight to be able to do this, but it also depends on a leader's ability to listen and observe. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. In this episode, Archer accomplishes with Krem. Now he's actually he's actually manipulating him to take advantage of the situation and help save his ship, but but I'm gonna focus on the positive things that he did that you can also do to help unleash the potential in the people that you work with. That's honestly so on brand for Archer to do something horrible (laughs) that we're able to then kind of twist a little bit to really get some great nuggets and some great lessons from. In the episode where I watched DS9, Things Past, I talked a lot about being curious, about approaching a situation openly and not assuming you already know the answer to something. When you do this, when you watch and listen all from a place of curiosity, you're going to notice things. One of them said you have no talent for business. Why not prove them wrong? For example, in this episode, Archer observes the interactions of the aliens with each other while they're grilling him for the location of the vault. He sees the clear hierarchy between them and that Krem is the, he's the grunt of the group. If you want to run your own ship someday, Maybe you should start showing a little initiative. When he's left alone with him, Archer starts asking questions. His questions are trying to do two things here. First, he's validating his assumptions based on his observations. And second, he's gauging Krem's desire and his ability to achieve his desires. These are critical and necessary when coming from a place of curiosity because because you're leaving yourself open to anything that you see and hear. Because of that, you have to validate what you're observing to determine what's important and what's true. In this first interaction, for example, it's pretty clear that Krem is subservient to the rest of the team, but, but maybe there's something cultural with this mystery species that Archer doesn't know that, that flips that on its head. Like, I don't know, like like subservience is a sign of power or, or something like that. I love it when kids tell me what to do. What could be better? Not a thing, that's who. So he asks open-ended questions and then listens, listens to the responses. Based on those responses, he encourages Krem to take action on his desires. Krem, it's time that I showed a little initiative. I have the lobes for business. You just never give me the chance to prove it. Now, if you manage people, I would imagine you spend time talking with them. Or, honestly, I... I sure hope you do, at the very least. You likely have impromptu conversations as well as scheduled more formal confers and and, and one-on-one discussions. And on top of that, you probably have opportunities to see them in action, doing the work that they're there to do. In all of these interactions, you can follow Archer's example, listen with curiosity, observe their performance and ask questions, ask open-ended questions. When you do these things, you will observe and validate things about the people you work with that they might not have considered or might not have had the confidence to attempt. And that, that is where the magic happens. Expect Expecto china. Once you have that, you can work to develop opportunities and offer skills or training that can help move that person towards their talent or desire. I, w- I wanna give a good example here. Okay, I know. Here's one. So, I don't know if I've shared this before or not. If not, I'm sorry because this is a big part of who I am, but but I used to work I used to work in professional wrestling. It was it was honestly one of the greatest gigs I ever had. Well, at least it was one of the most fun. I mostly worked on the mic as a commentator or announcer, but I did some time in the ring too. I was a referee. Uh, manager ring announcer, Ron, let's get out of here. Ron, just get out of here. This new senior WCWC official smiling, Dave Jackson. He can't officiate his way out of a wet paper sack. Is he blind? Didn't he see me interfering in that match? Like a ringside manager, kind of like a Bobby, the brain Heenan, you know, Jimmy mouth of the south heart. Heck I even wrestled a little. (laughs) It was a fun time, but because I worked mainly in support roles and not in the middle of the match. I had the opportunity to see a lot of what happened during the matches especially when I worked as a commentator where I not only watched every match but along with the broadcast team I would call and analyze what was happening in there. I'm Todd Kennedy, along with Jeff, Bacon. we come to you from Las Vegas, Nevada? And Jeff, we've got a big fight feel for our main event. Well, because of that, the talent would often ask my opinion on their performance and on their matches. And as we've talked about in other episodes of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, it is important, it is vital, it is critical to always add value in your conversations with others. So I was always very honest and constructive when someone asked for my opinion. So at the time, I was working with a smaller organization. It was fun because we could try things out and get away with things. The larger companies that I worked for just just couldn't. It was I don't know, just a little more loose. And because it was a little more loose, they hired wrestlers and talent that didn't necessarily fit the traditional molds you think of when you think pro wrestling. That led to them hiring this one guy that had been training for a few years to get into the ring. As a As a side note, you you probably have an opinion about pro wrestling, and that's cool, right? You're totally entitled. But let me tell you, pro wrestling is no joke. The athleticism and the training that's necessary to even do a, do a halfway decent job is extraordinary. And if you ever think, or even dare to say that, that it's fake, allow me to introduce you to my orthopedic surgeon who would very much disagree with you. So anyway, this guy gets hired to wrestle. He's not in great shape, He's, he's super pale, he's skinny, and he has the, uh, he's he's got the same kind of embarrassing and fuzzy shoulder hair that I've got. His tights, they, they just kind of hung off of him. He, he just did not look good in there. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready to take flight with the Birds of War. Now he didn't okay enough job. I mean like he he knew what he was doing, but but honestly, he just wasn't enough of an athlete to do this and and it really showed. But he had a real passion for this. When I watched him prepare for his matches, he he did it with real intention. He wanted desperately to do a great job. He very much understood academically what he needed to accomplish in the ring, and he would try his very, very best to do it. When he was in his match, he was absolutely beaming. There was nowhere that he would rather be. I'd visit with him in the locker room. I mean, this guy is an encyclopedia of knowledge about the sport and the industry. I'd find myself just, just mesmerized by the stories he could tell about other matches, other performers. When I asked him questions about the stories, his, about his training, or, or even just about wrestling in general, he would answer them in the most engaging way that, that again just demonstrated his passion. Now we all know that it takes more than passion and drive to really make it. And this guy just, he just didn't have much more than that. Despite all that, the promoter booked him in a, in a relatively high profile match. I wanted to help him however I could, So, I suggested that he film one of those, you know, pro wrestling interviews that we all know and love. Well, let me tell you something, brother. To hype and build himself up for the match. Well, he did it. And you know what? It was amazing, like next level fantastic. And that's when the light went off in my head. This guy belongs on a mic. And not in the ring. I shared my opinion with him. And then helped advocate for a new role in the company for him. He started managing wrestlers very quickly. Where he'd be their hype man. Help them get away with nefarious deeds in their matches. He had a ton of success. And now he actually makes his living. Working full time. Both as a performer and a commentator in pro wrestling. And that that was his dream. It's It's what he always wanted to do. But... But he thought he wanted to be a wrestler, you know, in there, in the ring, doing, doing the stuff, but his skills and talents showed his potential was, was just a little different than that. And a part of helping him get there was, was, was me, was me pulling an archer and you can do the same thing. Just, I, I observed him. I I listened to him. I was curious when he spoke and, and I asked a lot of questions and then then I made a proposal, much like Archer did. The difference is my guy wasn't creme. <laughs> no, he was and is brilliant. He's living the dream. He has unleashed his potential, and honestly, it is the coolest thing ever. We got through this one quicker than most episodes. Again, this this is absolutely an episode worth watching. But but they kind of took a twenty minute episode and stretched it out to forty four. Still. A lot of fun. I want to take a minute and just thank all of you for supporting the Starfleet Leadership Academy, how, however you're able to. Quick, easy, and impactful ways to offer support or to, to rate and review the show. That helps grow the audience because people have a better idea what this show is. You can also follow the show and me on social media. We're on Twitter at SFLA Podcast, and you can follow me on all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken. It's Jeff, T as in trip running around in his underwear, A-K-I-N. Or if you're feeling more generous, you can join the Starfleet Leadership Academy Patreon. It's at patreon.com SFLA, or you can click the link in the show notes. And finally, if you're going to do some shopping on Amazon, visit my site, jeffaiken.com, and click on one of the affiliate links in the blog or in the reading list. It doesn't cost you a penny more, and it goes a long ways towards supporting the show. Your support means the world to me. Without it, I'm just a guy talking Star Trek into a microphone. But with it, I'm able to produce this show and write blogs to provide you with value and entertainment. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? 18th episode of the seventh season of the next generation eye of the beholder this one deals with some some really sensitive subject matter suicide it also features troy prominently so i'm hopeful for another thought-provoking episode like face of the enemy and until then ex astra scientia Electric Electricast. Electric, acid. Electric acid.